We're, we're looking at Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, and we should because it's a good story. It's a good interaction. Uh, a miraculous thing happens in Samaria because of the woman and, what, and how Jesus uh, ministers to her. So it's a really good story. It deserves a lot of our attention. But there's something else there that we might miss if we're not careful. And that's what I want to draw our attention to as we start off our new year together today. So John chapter 4, starting in the beginning of the chapter. And we'll go through the first eight verses and then jump down to verse 27. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And that verse right there is one to pay attention to. We're going to focus on that. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now jump down to verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I want to focus in on Jesus' phrase where he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And you might want to underline that or, or, or copy that if you're on your phone and pay some special attention to it. Food to eat that you know nothing about. Well, today's January the 1st, and it's the day when, when we will typically make New Year's resolutions. I thought it might be fun to see if you all could guess what are the top 10 most common resolutions people make every year. What are the top 10 resolutions that people make every year when it comes to January 1st? So, lose weight. Quit smoking. Eat better. Let's see. 
Exercise more. What was that? Save money. Save more money. Spend less money. Spend time with family and friends. Well, that's a, that's a good one. It's, it's really close to one of them, which is to read more. So we'll mark that one off. We've got four more. Yeah, we got that one. Learn a new hobby. That is one of them. Learn a new skill or hobby. Good one. New job isn't on there. What was that? Travel more. That's one. Got two more. That's a good one. It's not on here, but that's a good one. (laughs) One has to do with your garage. Maybe your home office. Yep. Get organized. (laughs) And then the last one is probably not going to be easy to guess, but it's to live life to the fullest. That's my, that's a resolution. Live life to the fullest. I don't know how you make that a, I don't know what you do when you make that a resolution, but yeah. (laughs) so there's nothing wrong with setting a new year's resolution or a goal Um, one of the things that I think is important when we when we talk about new year's resolutions or new year's goals or goals of any kind at any time is to 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 talk about to try to give ourselves a lot of grace as we're getting into the new goal or the new resolution and not make it a, a, a thing where it's like, well, I'm not going to, let's say, if you were trying to quit smoking, I don't think we have anyone here that, that may, maybe struggles with that. But if you, were, if you were doing that, a lot of times people would say, well, I'm not going to smoke this year. And then they get through half of the day, and they give in, and they have a cigarette, and then, well, I ruined it all. I ruined my resolution. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to try. Well, if we... If we think of it that way, then yeah, we failed. But if you think, well, I'm just, I want to smoke less this year. And these would go from, well, I'm going to go from eight cigarettes a day to four cigarettes a day. Or, you know, just, and then if you say, well, I got, I got, I, I did five today instead of four. That's all right. Next, tomorrow, just try to do four. Or, so, you know, try to do, th- give ourselves a lot of grace. If we give ourselves grace when we're doing something new, like trying to read through the Bible, in a year, then, then we're, we have a lot more likelihood of actually keeping with the new habit as opposed to it has to be this rigid, I'm doing everything right now, and if I don't do it exactly how I think I'm supposed to be doing it, then I'm not going to do it at all, and I quit. So, that's my little, my little lecture on, on resolutions and goals. But it's interesting... How many of those how many of those resolutions 
have to do with our spirit. Now, when I think of spirit, I'm thinking of the combination of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Um, I'm not going to get into an intellectual debate about the differences between the soul and the spirit and the mind and all of that stuff, but but traditionally, uh, the spirit can entail or encapsulate your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So how, much of, how many of those 10 goals or 10 resolutions have to do with, with uh, uh, you know, changing or affecting our spirit for the year? Let me read them for you. Exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money, spend less money, Quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, travel more, and read more. Maybe, maybe read more. That could be kind of feeding your mind intentionally. I'd say spending time with family and friends, that would be a good one for your spirit. Of course, if we're in, if we're in better physical shape, then that's also good for our spirit too, but that's really focusing on your body. Live life to the fullest, maybe that one will fit in there. So maybe three out of the seven are focused on that. Most of the time when we're making goals, resolutions, when we're trying to change something about our lives, we focus entirely on the physical, right? Well, I want to I exercise more. That's one of, my, one of my goals for the year. I want to eat healthier. I have, um, I have two things I'm trying to resolve, so I have a little bit different motivation. So I'm not just trying to get healthy to be healthy, although that's a good reason, but I've got ringing in my ears that started in November, right before Thanksgiving. I've, always, I've had a, high, a, a really, really super high pitch frequency ring in my ears, but this one has, was a lower one, a much more annoying one, which is kind of frustrating as a musician. And concerning, and then I've had headaches uh, almost every day since um, February of 2021. So in this February, it'll be two years of having a headache almost every day, all day long. And so we're going to try some some diet things to see if we can resolve those issues. Hopefully, make a make a make a change or affect those. So I have that I have that extra motivation. So I want to I want to pay attention to to that and I think I think fixing those or making some improvements in those will help my mind because if you if you have headaches, you know how hard it is to be positive, how hard it is to not get snappy with people and be grumpy all the time. So I think that'll help my spirit if I if I if I can deal with some of that. But a lot of our efforts tend to just focus on the physical, which makes us human and a lot like the disciples. Right? So, so the disciples go into town, and what do they go into town to do? To buy food, right? So his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And when you are human, you need to eat food so you have energy to survive. That's part of life. Then they come back and they find Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman and they're urging him, Rabbi, eat something. And look, we know that Jesus is tired because it says so in verse 6. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well 
to, to, to rest because he was tired from this walk. So Jesus was physically tired. So his disciples are being good disciples. They're saying, Rabbi, you need to eat something. You, know, you need to get up, keep up your energy so we can, can, can continue on this journey and do what we're supposed to be doing. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Food to eat that you know nothing about. So Jesus is at least saying here, there's, there's something that we're supposed to be feeding that isn't our physical body. There's, there's a part of us that, that exists that doesn't survive solely on, on meat and potatoes, vegetables, whatever it is you like to eat, donuts. We're still going to eat donuts. Just less often, <clears throat> but I don't. I I don't know that I want to live in a world that doesn't have donuts. So we're going to have donuts. But there's something. There's something that isn't satisfied by donuts alone. In fact, Jesus would say that when he's being tempted by the devil. Right? He says, "Man does not live on bread alone," which donuts are a form of bread. When the, when the devil is tempting him because he's hungry, and he says, "No man doesn't live by bread alone, but on what is the rest of the, the verse he quotes? What does it say? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right?" So Jesus, I think, is, is trying to teach the disciples it's important <clears throat> to feed your spirit and your soul. So we need to ask the question, how do we, how do we feed our spirit? How do we feed our soul? And to do this, all we actually have to do is look at what we're currently doing most of the time that feeds our spirits which is news, social media, YouTube, Netflix, so on and so forth, right? I call that the junk food of the spirit, the junk food of the mind. Just like we like eating potato chips and, and we like eating Doritos and donuts and... And brownies, we had, we had brownies, we kind of went out with a bang yesterday, just ate a whole bunch of junk food all day, <clears throat> really all week, I was trying to eat as much of it as I could, <clears throat> really because I wanted to get my weight up on the scale so it was easier, you know, that first week to, to feel like I gained a little bit or lost a little bit. <clears throat> but that's, you know, that's junk food for our bodies and we like it because because our brain tells us to like it. That's what your brain does. It's, it says, hey, this is really good. This is sugary. 
There's a lot of carbohydrates in this, and your body wants carbs because it can convert them into energy, and it can store the energy for later in, in the form of fat. So you've always got something to, to live off of, even if you don't have food. So we can go for some of us more than others, like myself. I could go for a long time without needing to eat anything because I have a lot of reserves. So that's the junk food and your, and your mind craves it or your body craves it and you're actually your brain tells you to go after more of it because your brain wants you to be comfortable and alive and survive. Well, th- we do the same thing with a lot of these other forms of media that we take in because they do the same thing. They actually produce the same chemical in our mind. When you, eat, when you eat potatoes and sweets and sugars and carbohydrates, your brain produces dopamine, gives you a hit of dopamine so that you go after it more and more often. So we are actually literally addicted to, to pursuit of, of those things like sugars and carbs. Our brain does the same thing with all of these other things that we consume. News is a big one. Especially the way news stories and news sites work today, they're, they're using dopamine to get us addicted to, to the news cycle and to the stories that they're telling. Social media, there's a whole podcast if you want to go listen to it. It's called Your Undivided Attention. And they talk about all the different ways that social media is addictive. And, and they talk a lot about Facebook and Twitter, but uh, other social media uh, platforms come in there as well. YouTube is intentionally addictive. You know, you've got that. It'll just, it'll just keep loading up more and more videos. And, and they're trying to figure out with their algorithm what you like so they can give you more of what you like and just keep you on there for longer and longer. Same thing with Netflix. They've got algorithms just as, as uh, does Amazon Prime and all of the other uh, streaming platforms. They're using algorithms to figure out what you like so they can give you more of what you like so that they can keep you on their platforms for longer. Netflix tweeted, uh, the, the, the Netflix account tweeted several years ago that its greatest enemy wasn't Amazon Prime or Apple Plus or any of these other services. Their greatest enemy was sleep. The biggest problem for Netflix is that they can't possibly keep you on their platform long enough. They need you to lose sleep so that you stay on there. This is, this is the junk food of the spirit, and it's what, we, what we're feeding, our thoughts, feelings, and emotions on a regular basis. And, and I, did this, I did the statistics several years ago, and I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again until we understand it. That the average American, when I, did the stu- when I did the survey, the average American consumed eight hours of screen time per day. Now it's actually more like 11 hours, especially for younger generations, for, for the Gen, uh, Gen Zers and millennials. It's like 10 to 11 hours per day that they're on their phones or in front of a screen or on some kind of a device. I think for, for the millennials and Gen Zers, it's like seven hours a day on the phone and then a few hours on other screens. So that's, that's an even worse ratio, but if we go with the eight hours a day that we're on our screens or on our devices looking at all this stuff, that gives us the, the number eight. And then 
the, the above average Christian, according to this uh, survey, it was either by Pew Research or Barna, one of those two groups, I can't remember. But they said that the above average Christian spends 15 minutes a day reading the Bible and praying. So this isn't the average Christian, but the above average Christian, the above average church attender, spends 15 minutes a day reading God's word and praying. So 15 minutes a day versus 8 hours a day, that's a ratio of 32 to 1. We're feeding our spirit junk food of the world 32 times more than we're feeding it what God would have us to feed it according to what Jesus says here. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're feeding ourselves bread. We're feeding ourselves the junk food of the world instead of feasting on Jesus' word. So I'm pretty sure that, that what Jesus was talking about when he says food to eat that you know nothing about is, is God's word. It is doing the will is what he says, doing the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. But that's a hard one to kind of wrap our minds around. So I wanted to dig into that just a little bit more for us to really understand. One of the most common things that we see Jesus do over the course of his ministry is to get alone by himself and pray. And you'll see this happen time and time again, after, especially after a big ministry time. He would, he would go and, and he, would, he would do a lot of healing. And then after he did a lot of healing, he would go by himself and pray. And we see this at the beginning of Mark when they're at Peter's house. And, and, and they spend all night, literally all night, healing people. So you'd think the thing you would do would be to go take a nap because you're tired. But Jesus, instead of taking a nap, he gets alone by himself to pray and spend time with the Father. Because his spirit was depleted from all of that ministry. So he needed to restore his spirit so he could continue doing the ministry. He would sacrifice his physical need for his spiritual need and put his spiritual needs ahead of his physical body. And he does this time and time again. Perhaps the most notable time where we can see this this played out is in the Garden of Eden. And here is where I think where I think we can maybe wrap our minds around what it what what it means that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So let's go to Matthew chapter 26 if you want to go there with me you can. I'm going to read starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's got all the disciples there with him, except for Judas, who left at dinner. So he's got 11 disciples there. He leaves most of the disciples, and then he takes Peter, James, and John with him over to this other place where he's going to pray. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he says to Peter, James, and John, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he's struggling. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what does he do? He goes away and prays. And he prays for God to take away the thing he doesn't want to do, which is going to the cross. Having, I think, probably really what he's, what he's not wanting to have happen is have all of the wrath of, of all, that all of humanity deserved for their sin and rebellion put on him. I think that's probably the deeper thing that he doesn't want to have happen. His soul is overwhelmed about it, so he doesn't want to do it, and he prays, but then he prays, if it's possible, take it away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then he returned to his disciples, verse 40, and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've heard that phrase, you've heard that verse, you've probably underlined it so many times, you've probably highlighted it a bunch of times, probably heard a lot of pastors mention it and talk about it over the years. But have we really drawn the deep connections that Jesus is making here? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I don't know if you've ever put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Jesus was not forced to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. Jesus was not, was not murdered. He was executed, but he chose to, to go through with the execution. He did, not, he did not have his life taken from him. He chose to give his life. That's what Jesus says. I don't know if you've ever put yourself in Jesus' shoes and, 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 and said, could I go through with the same thing? If I knew that I was heading to the cross, if I was innocent of what I was about to be accused of and convicted of, and I was going to take the responsibility for a lot of other people's crimes, could I go to the cross and follow through with it, knowing I would be humiliated and, 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 and beaten and mocked and made fun of for what someone else has done? Could I do it? When you think about the weight of the sin of all humanity for all time being put on Jesus, could you carry that weight? I don't think any of us could carry that weight. 
unless we had help. And here Jesus brings Peter, James, and John with him over here to the garden. And, and they're off in, this, off in this special place where the other disciples aren't there. They're over there doing something else, probably also taking a nap. And he brings them over here, and, and he brings them over here to teach them, right? He wants to teach them something that's really important, and he wants them there with him when he's going through this most significant moment in his life. And, and we have these pictures where Jesus, as it says, he fell face down to the ground, and he just gets on his face, and, and he's praying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. We know from Luke that he prays so hard that he sweats drops of blood. He's struggling emotionally so, so deeply with what's happening that, that is straining his physical system. His struggle and his spirit is straining his physical body. And he comes back and finds the disciples asleep. And he says, can't you, can't you wake up? Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. Jesus is, is showing them, he's teaching the disciples how to deal with the greatest temptation that you might ever have in life. Because here Jesus is struggling with the greatest temptation he's ever going to have in his life while he's praying, which is, am I going to do my will or am I going to father the, follow the Father's will? It's the greatest temptation we all face. Am I going to do what I want or am I going to do what God wants me to do? Watch and pray so that you not fall into temptation. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say strain harder. He doesn't say, he doesn't say that, you, that you just need to work really hard to resist the temptation. He says, pray. Watch and pray so that you not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit wants to do what God wants to do, but so many times our flesh comes along and hijacks what the Spirit wants. The power, it seems, what Jesus is saying, the power to, to follow Jesus' will for, or God's will for your life is found when we feed the Spirit what the Spirit needs. When we pray, when we spend time in communion with God, when we, when we are, are listening to him and letting him speak to us. He goes and prays and there he comes back and they're asleep again. And then he comes and he says, are you still sleeping and resting? I don't think, I don't think Jesus is being being condescending and mean to the disciples, I think he's saying, are you sleeping instead of praying? Are you resting your body instead of restoring your spirit by spending time with God? What I hope uh, we can start to work on again together as a church is, is doing those things that we need to do to feed our spirit. We were kind of getting into a rhythm of that in, in 2018, 2019. Not everyone was doing it, but a lot of us were doing it, and a lot of us were starting to build these habits. See, these habits that, that we call spiritual disciplines that we're going to focus on for a little while, 
The reason they're important is because they create space in our lives for the relationship with God that we need. So we do things like reading our Bible and praying and meditating on Scripture so that we are spending time in creating the context within which God's relationship can empower us to live out his will in in our lives. When we try to do his will without those things, without that relationship, we are going to be like the disciples. We're going to end up falling asleep and trying with all of our physical might and coming up short because it's not something we can do with our own strength. We have to take advantage of everything that Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, defeating sin and defeating the war that existed between us and God because of our sin, rising from the dead, conquering the, the, the curse of sin, which was death, the sting of death. He conquered that by, being, by resurrecting. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us. He's there on our behalf interceding for us when the accuser comes and makes his claims to the Father. And he's there doing that. And he sent his spirit, the spirit of Christ, to dwell in the church and in all who believe to empower us to live the same kind of life that Christ lived on this earth. He made all of that possible. He gave us the the ability through his sacrifice on the cross now to come into God's presence. As I like to say, to go up the mountain on our own like Moses used to go up on the mountain and talk with God and, and spend the time up there and the Israelites would be down below and they'd be terrified because they would hear this thundering sound up on the mountain while Moses was up there and he'd come back down and he'd be glowing. He'd terrify everyone after he spent time with God. And so he had to cover his face because he was spending time. But Moses was the only one that was allowed to talk with God. Well, because of what Jesus did, we're all able to come into God's presence and pray and commune with the Almighty God. Jesus is saying, watch and pray. Come into the presence of the Father. Spend time with the Father so that by doing so, you are equipped. Your soul is nourished. Your spirit is fed so that you're actually able to do the will of the Father. If we don't do that, if we keep feeding ourselves, feeding our spirits with news and social media and Netflix, we're not going to have the strength to do God's will. If we feed our spirit with things like gossip and slander, it feels good in the moment because your brain likes it, but it disempowers your spirit from being able to do God's will. So we need to start eating the food that Jesus ate and figuring out what that is. So we're going to spend a a few weeks looking at some of these spiritual disciplines and and kind of getting them back into our thinking. That's one of the reasons we're doing a Bible reading plan, kicking that off today. We're also going to look at prayer. We're going to look at meditation, what it means to meditate on God's word. We're going to look at solitude and a lot of other things. I've got a, a list of nine things we're going to look at that are important. We're going to look at Sabbath and rest and why rest is important in God's design and all of that. But to wrap up, I just want to ask you a question. What is one thing you can start this year that will feed your soul some bread from heaven 
instead of potato chips from earth? What's one thing you can start this year that will feed your soul bread from heaven instead of potato chips from earth? Heavenly Father, thank you for this family that we are privileged to be a part of. Thank you for this new year and this new start and this uh, new beginning that you give us and the reminder that you are making all things new, that every morning your mercies are new. Every day we wake up with the opportunity to start new. And I thank you for that, and I thank you just how, how we can do so even at the beginning of a year right in the middle of, of winter. I pray that you would help us as a, as a church family, as a church body, to, to be willing to do the things that we need to do so that we can embrace the spiritual life that you have for us and, and, and do those things that, that will create space for our relationship with you spiritually, not just physically. I pray that you would have a, a, a deeper relationship with each and every one of us this year than we had last year. And that that relationship would overflow into this family. And it would overflow out of the overflow of our hearts. The mouth would speak the goodness of God. And that we'd be able to uh, encourage one another and to, to let our light shine in the world around us as it flows out of us. Thank you and praise you. And ask for your help this year to be your church and your people living in your way. In Jesus' name.